we're in the final installment of a series on money. So, I don't know about you, I'm glad. Uh, I don't enjoy talking about money. Much rather talk about less controversial things like politics. Um, <laughs> so, I want you to stand in body or in spirit and my apologies, uh, I'm going to read a few extra verses that are prior to the one. So you're, you're invited to stand in body or in spirit for the reading for today. It's Mark chapter 12. I'm going to actually start in verse 38. So I think the, the, the bulletin catches us up a little later. Hear God's word. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. I know. By the way, you asked me, why don't you like to wear your robe? Right there. That's it. Jesus. Okay. Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall never die. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. preacher was in his new appointment, you know, and he was, of course, trying to visit members of the congregation and tried to visit the shut-ins and the nursing homes, and he'd been there several weeks, and somebody pulled him aside and said, you know, you really need to visit this family. They, they don't come hardly at all to church, but they live way out in the country, and look, I know it'd be out of your way, but I, I think you really ought to go see them, and of course, he wanted to and said he would. And he plugged it in his GPS, and of course it was wrong, and he was on a wild goose chase all over the county. But finally he found the place down this dirt road, and it was not really a house, it was a shack. And, you know, the church provided him a parsonage, and the parsonage was very nice. And as he rode up to this house, he just thought, you know, because when you get to a parsonage, some things you like and don't like you know you don't pick the house but he thought about all the ways internally he had complained about the very nice house that he was living in and when he pulled up he just felt you know he he felt humbled he felt guilty a little bit 
which was good. And he knocked on the door, and uh, he was invited in and met the family. And um, the house was well kept. There was a lot of pride, a lot of dignity in this home. And they visited and got to know one another. And then the father of the house said, uh, Parson, I need to give you this. And he gave a, a little dirty bag, uh, and, and in it was just pennies. Pennies. And the, the preacher couldn't help but think about the offering that they had taken uh, that morning at church, which was, you know, it was around Thanksgiving, and people were feeling generous. And it was a, it was a good offering. And he knew the people of this church would want not to take money from this family, but to give something. I mean, the church had a fund for stuff like this. You know, let us help you with some of your needs. You're obviously struggling. He didn't say this, but he, but he wanted to say, no, we don't want your, can we give you something? And finally, the, the, the preacher did just say, you know, I appreciate this, but you don't have to do this. Uh, you know, the church is doing well, and, and, and the, the, the man interrupted him, and he said, you know, sir, parson, um, I mean no disrespect, but you have to take that. And, and the preacher said, but you, you need it, you need it. And he said, sir, that is not mine. That's the Lord's money. And I'll thank you to take it and include it with the offering. And the preacher learned more about giving and about stewardship and tithing that day from this country poor church member than he had from all the books he'd read in seminary and all the sermon series he listened to online. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus takes the disciples to the temple. And they were pretty country boys too. And they were in the city. And perhaps they had been to Jerusalem before. At least likely they had. But they were with Jesus. And they were going to one of the high holy feasts. And this was this text for today is Jesus' last week. Jesus is going up for Passover, so they think. But he knows, Jesus knows, he's going to die. And he takes them into the temple. And of course, they could have looked at all the different parts of the temple and the places to worship and the, the bread of the presence and the, the washing basins. And I mean, some of you know so much about the temple. Would, can you imagine what it would be like to go to the temple? But Jesus pulls his disciples aside where? Over by the offering box. And Jesus just pulls up a chair <laughs> and just sits there and stares at people giving money. That is just inappropriate, isn't it? I mean, y'all were raised right, weren't you? We don't, when you pass the plate, we, don't you know how to do that like stealth thing where we just, we don't look at what anyone else, the ushers, yes, we, we are not supposed to talk about money, we're not supposed to talk about how much people make or don't make and how much people give, you don't brag about it, right? Some of you even do this, I'm not picking on you, but you know, some of you, when you give, you, like, do this, like, secret, like, you know what I mean? I'm not knocking it. It's, for, it's really cool. Like, we're, we're self-conscious, aren't we, when we give? Like, we want to, we don't want to be like, and here's my check. <laughs> you know, I'm doing a little dance in the end zone. No, we, we try to be respectful when it comes to money, and, 
If somebody next to us doesn't give, of course, we might notice that, but we don't say anything. They could have given online, right? Amen? Some churches even have a card in the pew where you can put, I gave online, and put that in the offering plate. Isn't that cool? And I kind of love it because they're going, I feel bad because I'm not, I want to do the thing. And Jesus sits on his perch with his disciples and just watches the crowd come through and give. And it wasn't like they had ushers. There would be a box that they're all walking past. And you've probably heard this before. And there were some that were obviously making a great show of it. And you'd hear these big bags of money be dumped in. And, you know, back in those days, it wasn't the sound of a tearing check that signified giving. Remember that? Real quiet. Mm, somebody's writing a check. In those days, it was... The sound of gold that had a different sound from the sound of copper, right? And you could hear it and know, oh my, somebody gave a lot of money today. It's interesting what Jesus pays attention to. He pays attention to what the people are giving. And he pays attention to their hearts and their motives. Not in this text, but you know, at some point, Jesus this week is going to come into the temple and turn over the tables of the money changers, right? And he calls it a den of robbers. Did you notice, do you know why I read the passage prior? Like, immediately prior to this widow, and you've probably heard preachers stand up and say, that poor widow gave all she had. And so you and I, we, right, we, we kind of use her as this example of somebody who gave the way you're supposed to give. But if you connect it to the verses just prior, he's, Jesus is blasting the establishment and the way that they are handling things. The political religious establishment in Jerusalem, in the temple, and he's saying, watch out, man, do not be like these people. And he says, they devour widows' houses. So there's systemic injustice. That is systemic injustice. I doubt that they are literally going to the widows' houses like gingerbread houses and eating them. No, through their policies, through what they are doing and not doing, with the government-slash-religious policies, because it was all mixed together for them, but through the national and the religious policies, the widows were losing their homes, and they have no rights, they have no property. You remember, in the first century, for a woman, it is a different deal. Right? And so when Jesus notices in the next verse, a woman, a widow, putting in two copper coins, I think, what he's saying is, you see that woman right there? She shouldn't have to give her last two cents to the offering. Because the whole point of the temple was to take care of the widow and the orphan and the immigrant, the refugee fleeing violence from oppressive nations. Like there's one unifying thread throughout the whole Bible, and that is that God cares about immigrants God cares about the poor. God cares about the marginalized. God cares about widows and orphans. And I have not gotten any word from God that that's changed. Roger that. 
hear from Jeremiah chapter 7. This is the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah who is letting Israel know that they are out of step with God. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house. What is that? What's the Lord's house? The temple. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. It says it three times. Jeremiah stands at the temple gate and says, don't you trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, and if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave to your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words and are, that are worthless. What's the deceptive words? Well, this is the temple. Oh, we're worshiping God. He says, you're not. You're not. Because you're going through the motions of the religion that God has given you, but you are not keeping the spirit and the heart of the religion. And God can't stand that. He won't abide it. I mean, what does he say? I'll let you live. <laughs> Can you get any clearer? Listen to this. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? You hear that? Has this house which bears by name become a den of robbers to you? When Jesus turns over the tables of the money changers and says this house is supposed to be called a house of prayer, he's quoting scripture there. But you have made it a den of robbers, he's quoting scripture there. And anytime Jesus quotes scripture, you've got to look at the whole context. And so he's not just talking about the exchange rate of the people selling the animals for sacrifice at Passover time. That's not the den of robbers. The den of robbers is robbing God. Because God has said that I care about you following my ways and I care about how you treat the least of these, the marginalized, the widows, the orphans, the foreigner in your midst, the refugee fleeing, who's looking for safety, that's come to your land, God has said, you're supposed to take care of them. And that's why Jesus sits there and watches the offering box and judges, I mean, he's the rightful judge, right? I'm not saying you and I are supposed to do this, okay? But Jesus is God incarnate, and God came down. And he judges us, and he watches what we give 
And he just notices. And it's this great question. Do you see that widow there? Do you know what the disciples said? <laughs> no. I guarantee you, if you and I had been disciples that day, and Jesus had taken us by the offering box to watch people give, do you know what I would have noticed? The wealthy. And I would have been impressed with them. Woo! Look at them. Wow! Look at that big old donate. We pay attention to wealth. That's why you know the name Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk. Uh, right? What's the Bezos? Bezos? Bozos? Jeff, Amazon? All right? We know all these names. Why? We don't know the names of the widows. Who cares? We know the names of the wealthy. Because they're smart and they're great and they're mighty. But she, and, and if I had been in the temple that day, I promise you I would have said, wow, look at that. Look at that big gift. Whoa, look at that. Whoa, what can we do with that money? Ooh, we could, we could really renovate the temple. Ooh, we could. Ooh, we could. Ooh, ooh. Right? And, but Jesus notices. He says, did you see that? What? You see that widow? What widow? I didn't see a widow. We wouldn't have even noticed her. Why would you? Why would you? It was insignificant. She is insignificant. She doesn't ma- she's not making a difference. Clearly two copper coins. Whoop-de-doo. We can't even, I mean, what are we going to do with that? But Jesus notices, doesn't he? And he says, you see that? She put in two coins, two copper coins. She gave more than all of those other people. And this is deep and profound. This is hard to get for, for me at uh, 9.36 a.m. My brain doesn't wake up this early. So this is profound what Jesus says, but I hope you can get this. He says, she gave more because everybody else gave out of their abundance. They gave out of their wealth. But she gave out of her poverty. Paul uses this same language when he talks about giving. And uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians. And he says... And he's writing to Corinth, which is a rich church. And he's basically, by the way, Corinthians is a fundraising letter. Read the whole thing, I'm telling you. Second Corinthians in particular is a fundraising letter. And he's sending it ahead because he went to a poor church and he says, out of their extreme poverty, they gave beyond their ability. I think the Greek word is hyperdynamos. <laughs> it's like where we get the word dynamite. They gave out of their extreme poverty, it welled up to this extreme generosity. And basically he's going, when I get there, I don't want you to be unprepared to make a gift to what? The temple. They were taking money to the temple in Jerusalem to meet the needs of the poor that God had commanded them to do. This, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. What does it mean to give out of our wealth Versus to give out of our lack, out of our poverty. 
Because Jesus says she gave everything she had, all she had to live on. And like I said already, I'm not saying that you should do that. I'm not saying that that's a commandment for all time. He's just naming that that's what she did. But when that blessed woman went to the temple that day, that was not her giving her leftovers. When you have two more coins, and that's it, and you decide to go to church that day and put them in the offering plate, do you know what you're saying? All I have is God at this point. And I'm going to throw all I have on the altar. You give Him with your heart. It's not rational. It's the same principle we see. Remember the widow that I think Elijah or Elisha visited and they only had like enough bread to make one more meal and he's like, make the meal and there's the one that only had enough oil and then there is something about when we put our trust not in our resources but in God who richly provides everything we need. There is a heart moment that takes place and God loves that. God blesses that. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. And Jesus notices it. Y'all know the founders of this country are are amazing men, but they were not all Christian. I hate to say that. Some of them were, don't get me wrong, but but, but please do your own homework. I mean, but Ben Franklin, certainly one of the wisest men that's lived in this nation, But Ben Franklin, he was skeptical on religion. And he would never join a church. He would visit them all because it was, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that, because it was politically expedient uh, (laughs) to to visit all the church. He would visit churches, but he was very skeptical of religion and especially preachers because he found us to be manipulative and always trying to line our own pockets. Y'all ever heard of George Whitfield? Anybody heard of Whitfield? He was the Billy Graham of the 1700s. He preached to 80% of the colonies. 80% of the people in the American colonies heard George Whitfield live. Because, by the way, that was the only way to hear anybody in the 1700s. He preached to 80% of the colonies. It was amazing. And he had this voice. Ben Franklin actually writes about his voice. He could speak to like, I think Franklin estimated he spoke to 30,000 people with no sound amplification. God blessed him with this tremendous voice. But, and Whitfield was a character and, and a great man. And he, by the way, George Whitfield was in the Holy Club with John and Charles Wesley. And Whitfield was a Calvinist, but he was also a Methodist. But John, but, but John Wesley was the one who really started our movement. But Whitfield, um, he was raising money for an orphanage, probably the one in Savannah that still exists that Whitfield built. He was raising, he built orphanages all over this country and Britain. But of course, it takes money to do that. Ben Franklin went to church. He wanted to hear Whitfield preach. And he, by this time, the, the preacher didn't like Whitfield because he was better than them. So he was preaching in the fields because he wasn't welcome in their churches. So Ben Franklin went to this you know, outdoor preaching event to hear, uh, to hear George Whitfield preach. And Franklin writes, I had made up my mind not to give that guy a penny when the offering plate came around. I'm not going to be manipulated into this, you know, schemer but he said his message was so profound his oratory was so amazing that at first I said okay I'll give my copper and he said okay I'll give my silver 
And he said when the offering plate came around, he dumped everything he had with him that day. <laughs> everything he had in the offering plate. Which was his saying, George Whitfield was an impressive preacher. Now that is spontaneous generosity. And that's good. You and I typically remember our spontaneous generosity, don't we? I remember the times I'm motivated and I've got a hundred tucked away in my wallet and, and there's a special offering and I, I oh, I was, I'll give it. I remember every hundred dollars I ever gave. I do. I just, maybe you're different, but I, I remember when I give $500 or $20 or whatever amount might be for you, you know, for some of you it might be $5,000, you know, that that's, God has blessed you, but you remember the amounts. And we remember, and, and there's a place for that. That spontaneous generosity is important. But what the widow did that day, that was not spontaneous generosity. That's what all the wealthy people were doing. They were given their extra. And that's fine. But, but when you give your last two cents to God, that's not an act of spontaneity. That's an act of purpose and planning. She woke up that day. And she took everything she had with her. And she gave it to God. John Wesley um, was one of the greatest Christians that I know of when it came to money. In 1731, John Wesley began to limit his expenses so that he would have more money to give to the poor. In the first year, this is when he was starting out in his ministry. In his first year, his income was 30 pounds a year. 30 pounds a year. And he found he could live on 28. So he gave away two. So was he tithing? No. Three pounds, good. Yeah, some, I was just checking your math. Three pounds would have been tithing. So at the beginning of John Wesley's career, he found I can live on 28 pounds. And he was, that's probably a meager income for a starting preacher in those days. Quite sure that was not a lot. But he found he could live on 28 and give away two pounds. Listen to this, you people. Listen to this. In the second year, his income doubled. But he held his expenses even. <laughs> Does anybody do that? Every time I make more money, my spending seems to match it. I mean, I don't know why, but John Wesley was determined that he says, I try to give away money quickly lest it find its way into my heart. That's what, that was what he said. So in the second year, his income had doubled. But he held his expenses even, and so he had 32 pounds to give away. He gave away a year's income. In the third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds, and he gave away 62 pounds. In his long life, Wesley's income advanced to as high as 1,400 pounds a year, but he rarely let his expenses rise above 30 pounds. And he said he seldom had more than 100 pounds in his possession at one time. Now, you know who didn't believe this? The, the IRS of London or England in those days. This baffled the English tax commissioners, so they investigated John Wesley in 1776, insisting 
that for a man of his income, this would be near the end of his life. I think Wesley died in like 1780s, 87 maybe. So this is near the end of his life. They investigated him in 1776, insisting that for a man of his income, he must have silver dishes that he was not paying excise tax on. In those days, you had to pay tax on your silver. Aren't you glad to be an American? Come on. (laughs) You had to pay, you had to say how much silver you had and pay tax on it. This is what John Wesley wrote I have two silver spoons at London and two silver spoons at Bristol. This is all the plate I have at present. And I shall not buy any more while so many round me lack bread. I'm so humbled by this. You know, I'm humbled by Ben Franklin's generosity spontaneously. I think I'm probably more humbled by John Wesley's. That wasn't spontaneous. That was planning, right? Do you see the difference between planning, purposeful, I'm going to devote my life to God, and that includes my money. Whether I'm tithing, whether I'm less than a tithe, whether I'm beyond a tithe, it's, it's not about the amount, it's about the giver who is God. And it's about the receiver always knowing from whence our blessings come. Remember the ALS challenge a few years ago? Anybody? ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, I think. Is that the one that's Lou Gehrig's disease? And there was that ice bucket challenge. And I hated whoever tagged me. You know, but somebody, of course, tagged the preacher. And so I had to dump a bucket of ice water on my head. And I felt like I probably needed to give some money, too. And you can look it up. I can't remember, but they raised. I mean, it was like this viral thing that just happened. I'm pretty sure every charity in America was like, why didn't we think of that, right? I mean, they, they raised millions of dollars, I'm sure, for this dreaded disease. I mean, great cause. We would all support research into ALS. But I bet you anybody that sits on the board of these companies these nonprofits who's doing this research, I bet you anything they would take somebody giving $5 a month for the rest of their life over dumping your ice bucket on your head one time in an act of spontaneity. Does, does that make sense what I'm saying? Again, are they grateful for the ice bucket challenge? I'm sure, but you can't keep repeating that. And, and what Jesus notices in the temple that day is not the ice bucket challenge of that day. I mean, it's kind of like, whoop-de-doo. You gave out of your extra. After you had saved, after you had spent what you thought you needed and wanted, then I'll give my extra. That is just what normal Americans do. But Jesus notices the person who gave first who put God first and said, I want to give my life to God. And why does Jesus notice this? I think. Because Jesus himself that very week was about to put all he had into the offering plate. Which is interesting because Jesus didn't have any money. (laughs) He had some financial managers that handled expenses. But when they remember when they said... 
Um, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus says, well, who has a coin? They weren't supposed to carry a coin like that into the temple because it, it was a foreign currency. It had, it had, it had worshipped Caesar. It, it had Caesar as Lord on the coin. <laughs> All the scribes and Pharisees were like, oh, here you go, I've got one. <laughs> Jesus doesn't have a coin in his pocket. And yet, that very week, he gave his life. What more could he give? Out of love for you and for me. And I think that is why he sees the heart of this widow who puts all in. All of me. All of me. God. For all of you. And so, I want to invite you as we finish this series today. At the end of the day, to me, it's not really about math. Math is important. Like Dave Ramsey says, personal finances is 10% math and 90% looking in the mirror. You do have to know how to do some math, and if you're struggling with that, there's plenty of people that would love to help you because we, we, do, we don't want you to be in financial chaos and stress, right? And there's people in this room who would love to help you figure out a plan. But that's, at the end of the day, the bigger deal is not the math. The bigger deal is looking in the mirror and you deciding, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be in the area of my money? that God has blessed me with, that God has blessed you with? And do I want to be someone who just gives my leftovers? Or do I want to be someone who purposefully, intentionally says, God, I want to give to the things that you care about. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Lord, thank you for your, uh, your searing witness. Uh, the way that you, through the prophet Jeremiah and then through your own words, the way you just blast us. Lord, we are all, I mean, I repent. Like, we are all unrighteous. And Lord, if you were to look at our credit card statements and our checking account register, and, and if we could keep up with where our cash goes, Lord, we... You know we don't always use the money that you have blessed us with in ways that are honoring to you. And so we confess and we ask for forgiveness. But God, more than that, we, we, want, we want our lives to glorify you. So Lord, whether we are rich or poor, whether we are early in our career, or whether we are on a fixed income, uh, and and drawing on our social security. Lord, wherever we're at in life, still, don't let us be in the grip of money. Lord, let us be in your loving hands. Let us be in the grip of Jesus. And let us give as you would have us to give today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. What an uplifting verse to end on, isn't it? <laughs> That's a Charles Wesley hymn, and a charge to keep is not your credit card charge, right? A charge is a mission. We have been given a great charge to go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that we have been commanded. And so, Lord, send us forth from this place with our hearts full of love, Lord, let us not rely on ourselves. Let us rely on you and you alone. Lord, let us be filled with your love. 
and let us shine that same love back to you and back to all that we meet. Friends, enemies, the rich, the poor, the needy, and the greedy. Lord, let us have hearts of love for all of your children whom we will meet this week. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.